Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Hey, everybody. Hi. So I know that we are having a little bit of a a rough week. I've had like a rough couple of weeks, the last couple of weeks. I've had a rough week, but I think today is probably my worst day that I've had. I was just telling Keegan, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sound like I haven't been crying. (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I mean, honestly, it's real. And it's what I think a lot of people are feeling and going through right now. It ebbs and flows. You're going to have good weeks. You're going to have bad weeks. You're going to have good days and bad days. And we're collectively learning how to adjust and get through it. And I think a lot of people are really in that part of quarantine right now where the anxiety is ramped up and the uncertainty is making everybody feel very on edge. And that's okay. Well, it's like it's been long enough now that we've been in this that it's kind of like, I just keep thinking in my head, like, are we there yet? (laughs) You know, like, and I know we're not. And I know it's going to take time. And honestly, like, I'm so okay with that. If that means the health of everybody else in the world, I'm okay with feeling shitty for a little while. That's the least I can do. But um, it just sucks right now. I was just saying, I, I feel like my world is really small. And, um, but I, I just had a lovely surprise by my two best friends that moved here this year. They surprised me at my front door on FaceTime and I cried like a baby and I feel very loved. Um, had a good chat with Keegan as well. So I'm ready to pretend to be a normal human being and do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to talk about something today that was uh, recommended to us by a listener via Instagram. And I can't remember who it was. So let me look it up. Okay. This was sent in by a listener on Instagram called NetXNick, I think. And uh, they told us that they love our show, look forward to listening every week, and they were a little disappointed that we haven't addressed the COVID-19 related abortion bans that are happening in a lot of states. So I've been researching that during the week uh, since they texted me, and a lot of different things have been happening during that time. So what I was originally going to discuss is a little bit different than what I actually ended up taking my notes on today, um, because there have been some uh, new developments. So there are a lot of states, for example, Ohio and Texas, where there are already very strict abortion laws. And they're obviously taking this COVID-19 pandemic and using it as a reason to deter more people away from getting an abortion, basically, and making it harder and harder. I know, right? So in Ohio, abortion is legal after 20, abortion is illegal after 20 weeks. And with a stay-at-home order, it's nearly impossible to get an appointment and do everything that you need to do to have an abortion. And quick interjection. So on Monday, uh, my anxiety was so bad that I was throwing up and I missed work. But the first thing that came into my head is that I was pregnant. <laughs> and I thought of this and I'm like, I would be fucked. But luckily, there are some uh some good things going on, some 
looking up things. So they are there are some abortion providers that are seeing a demand for telemedicine abortions. And I actually, so I wrote these notes and then I just made an appointment with my psychiatrist and they're going to use telemedicine as well. So this is where they use this, like they'll either use something like FaceTime or Zoom or an AI-powered chat bot to prescribe abortion medication. And they don't do any pelvic exams or ultrasounds like they usually would do if you were to go to a clinic. They kind of waive all of that because obviously you can't do that if you're in two separate locations. Um, They are still working right now on having the FDA approve it for being like mailed and everything. They're kind of, it seems like they're kind of finalizing some of that stuff. Um, There's something called Gynady Health. I think I'm pronouncing that right which is a nonprofit, and they're studying whether abortion medication can be safely mailed to different patients. Um, And it's interesting because they've actually reported a 30% increase in virtual visits at some clinics between February and March. So even at the beginning of all of this, they saw a huge increase in people taking advantage of this. 21 Democratic state attorneys general, along with Democratic lawmakers and abortion rights advocates, are pushing the FDA to loosen their restrictions on prescription drugs during the pandemic, while conservative lawmakers are pushing to make these clinics non-essential. So that was kind of the original thing that this listener wrote to me about was that I was reading that especially in states like Ohio and Texas. I keep those are the ones at the top of my head. Um, But they are the lawmakers are trying to make it so that abortions and other services provided by clinics such as Planned Parenthood are seen as non-essential. It's healthcare. It's healthcare. Exactly. How is how is healthcare non-essential? Oh, if you can make an appointment to go see an OBGYN, which I know that you can right now, then you should be able to make an appointment for any other health related purpose. Well, right. But, you know, the 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 people that are not educated on this believe that places like Planned Parenthood, as we've discussed many times on here, are nothing but, you know, baby killer factories, you know. So a lot of these lawmakers are continuing to drill this into our heads by saying that, you know, now is the time to really cut down on all this kind of stuff and make it non-essential. And I fucking like hate people like this. It's to take advantage of this crisis to push your fucking like agenda? evil agenda. Yeah. Is I don't know. It's just a, a new low. Yeah, exactly. There is a senator by the name of Cindy Hyde-Smith who says, with hospitals pushed to their limits by COVID-19 health emergency, we should minimize, not increase, unrelated pressures on healthcare providers. So she's saying we don't need to put any more pressure on these doctors. They're doing enough. We shouldn't be asking them to do abortions because that's trivial. That's what I read when I read that. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, she's saying it's non it's non-essential. It's not something that has to happen. And I do see like most um most hospitals have put a limit on all non-essential like surgeries and things like that, elective surgeries and things like that. Right. I would not consider this to fall under that category. No, because it's so time sensitive, you know. But uh so that was one person's perspective. Um So there are actually some abortion clinics that have been prescribing online abortion medication for years in some states. So this isn't necessarily like a new development, but obviously all of this stuff is kind of becoming our new normal. And so I think it's starting to spread a little bit more. Um, I wonder, like not being able to do the pelvic exam and the ultrasound, is that concerning at all? It's funny because what the next note that I was just going to say is that there has been federally funded research that has shown that there is no higher risk of a remote abortion than one conducted in person. I don't 
know any more than that because when I did read that they aren't doing ultrasounds or things like that, it is kind of like, well, then how do you know? But there must be something different about this pill because it says that the drug is safe and effective in only the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. So it's not a 20-week thing. It can't go beyond a certain time. So I wonder if there's something a bit different about this particular pill that makes it a bit safer than an actual procedure of an abortion. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Yes. I mean, I've definitely seen um, pills like this before. I, I know people who have used pills like this before. The only issue that I can see here, because all of that sounds great. And in that case, I'm like, you can minimize um, stress on the person who is seeking the abortion. Um, you can also, it's, it seems like it's a lot more private in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, so it sounds very good in a lot of ways, but you would have to catch your pregnancy very early and you would also have to know what to do pretty much right away. Like you'd have to know who to contact and all of that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, there are still places too right now where you can do like an online consultation, but you have to drive to pick up the pill. So that's the main thing right now is that you can have your consultation and be prescribed the medication, but there's a lot of places where you can't get it in the mail. And for people who are maybe having to go out of state to even get the pill, they still have to make two trips. I don't really understand why the two trips are still there because the consultation is on the computer, but I read something where they were saying they still have to make two trips across state lines. They at least have to make one to get the pill. Yeah, not like it's not the most accessible right now. And I don't really know more about the pill in general. It sounds like it's great for somebody who catches their pregnancy really fast. But even that right now, I feel like even just getting a pregnancy test and doing like every little thing we can't just run to the store and get right now. It's right. And I know I know for me, too, I feel like I would because I feel so stressed and anxious and I'm having all other kinds of things, I think I would probably talk myself out of of getting a pregnancy test right away. Like I'd be like, oh, my period's late because of X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? And then maybe by the time... Oh, yeah. I mean, I've taken so many pregnancy tests in my life because like even even like in times where I knew I wasn't pregnant, I wasn't like sexually active or whatever at the time. I'm like, just to be sure, (laughs) I'm going to take a pregnancy test. Yeah. I mean, I get that as well. But like for me, my periods aren't always regular. I mean, they're regular in that they're always late. <laughs> yeah, mine are regular like every three weeks, like clockwork. So if I'm late, it's usually because of stress. And it would always happen in college before a showcase. I would always sure. not get my period that week. But and but yeah, but if you're used to having late periods like I am, I could talk see, yourself out of it. Yeah, I would just be like, okay, it's a little later than usual or whatever. And then by the time you catch it, by the by the time you're like, maybe I should get a pregnancy test, then you have to there's the added stress of going to the store, getting it during this time, taking it, finding your out you're pregnant. And then if you don't know who to contact or what your options are, like if I didn't know about this, my first instinct would be to find a Planned Parenthood. If Planned Parenthood wasn't open or taking appointments, I wouldn't really know what to do next. You know what I mean? Right. Um, It's interesting. I literally just Googled online abortion. Because I didn't, this article that I got did not give me enough information on where to go. There's a lot of interesting things that are showing up. 
<laughs> when I Google this, but uh, I'm seeing something called Plan C, safe abortion with pills. I'm seeing um, pre-abortions if qualified, no surgery abortion. I wonder if there is uh, quality information on Google when you Google it. Um, if I receive any information through Google between now and when we post the episode, I will post where you might be able to go to find some of these things, but I don't know off the top of my head right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll look into that a little bit more because it would be good if there is some kind of like database or some kind of resource that someone can turn to that breaks it down by state uh, that could make it easy for people to find. Um, That would definitely be something worth looking into because I know for me, especially in that mind, in that state of mind that you would be in, in a situation like that, uh, I don't know that I would be thinking clearly enough to, to do the research, to try and figure this out. Right. You know? Okay. So I got a lot of my information from a, uh, New York times article and there was another article that I only remember it saying google.com at the top. So I'm going to have to go back and figure out what it's, where it was from, where I got a lot of that from. But I wanted to, I wanted to touch on that because I think that our listener made a really good point. And that's something that I, that honestly wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't something that I thought of. Totally. And Thank you for, yeah, for suggesting that. For real. And I, I think I even said something in return. Like, it's funny that people right now are like focusing on very particular things that we're following because if we followed everything, we'd never stop watching the news. It's insane. And it's hard also, enough as it is. Yeah. Truly. And also we can only discuss so much on a mini episode. I had about five things that I had to narrow down to two. So, right. Yeah. And I do, I'm so grateful that that person uh, wrote into us with that yeah. suggestion because it's not something that I had even really thought about. And you would think that it would have been, you know, yeah, same. I was like, why didn't I think of that? I'm a yeah. bad feminist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> same. Anyways, I feel the same. <laughs> Keen, what do you have for us? Uh, well, okay. So <laughs> if we're going to talk about the thing that's really been grinding my gears over the, the last couple of uh, days or the last week or so, it's that, and I'm sure everybody who exists on the internet has had some exposure to this, uh, there have been a wave of anti-lockdown demonstrations across the country. The reopen uh, protests? Yes. That was one of my topics. Reopen- <laughs> my state, my city, uh, protests that have been happening. Um, there have been protests in Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky. There was one in Minnesota. There is going to be one in my hometown of Springfield, Missouri on Saturday. I texted my mom this morning and I said, get what you need, uh, tomorrow and don't leave the house because after Saturday, all these fucking people are gathering and I don't want my family members out amongst the population yeah. of people who think it's okay to just get together. Yeah. Uh, really so- quick interjection. I told my boss the other day, I mentioned that you were from um, Missouri and he was like, oh, what city? Because he tours constantly. So it's like, oh, she's from Springfield. And he goes, they've got two really good coffee shops there. And I couldn't pick which one. <laughs> He's like a big coffee yes. guy. But he was like, you tell her they got good coffee there. I'm like, I'm sure they she do. knows. <laughs> mud house mud house is that's the one he said amazing. we have a we have a mm-hmm. mud house um cup i think uh mug at their house yeah we uh 
Anthony and I, every time one of us, one of us, it's usually me, but every time we go back to Missouri, we will buy like a couple things and I'll bring them home with me. Yep. So we kept Mudhouse in the house here in California for like quite a while. It's I love it. super good. If you are ever going through Springfield, um, I highly recommend. And I also do want to preface this by saying, um, as I'm sure you also feel about your state of Minnesota. Oh yeah. It's not all fucking crazy whack job people. No. Well, actually <laughs> you know, I was yes, very surprised. I was very surprised because so the protest was held in front of the governor's mansion and I used to drive by the governor's mansion on my way to dance class every day when I was younger. And uh, it was when Jesse Ventura was governor. That was fun. And uh. um, <laughs> the good old days when we had a wrestler governor. And, um, but it's interesting because the Twin Cities especially is very liberal for the most part. Um, it's got a boom and gay community, especially in Minneapolis. Like it's just it's one of those things where I didn't expect it to come to the Twin Cities, like in other areas of Minnesota, 100% I can see it. But having it be in the capital that is typically much more liberal and not as conservative. I mean, there are still areas that are, but it was surprising to me that there was such a turnout and that that was one that like even Trump like tweeted about. And I was like, no. Yeah. I mean, well, but you have to also acknowledge that people are coming from other parts of the state as well, because Springfield is as far as Missouri goes, which is a very conservative area. Springfield's a college town, so it is more liberal uh, by and large than a lot of other places. Yeah. Uh, But still, there is a very Midwest mindset. And we've discussed this before. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about like the goings on, what has sparked these protests. Mm -hmm. But in large part, these are people who truly believe that their rights and freedoms are being infringed upon. And that is what they are protesting because this is a very, as far as I have seen, this is a very uniquely American phenomenon. This isn't a thing that's happening in other countries, even though other countries have been on lockdown. It is something that is ingrained in us as Americans. It it really is because it's this thing that we've always kind of had this history of these protests, whether they be peaceful protests or, you know, more like raids and things like that. Because of our constitution, having freedom of speech being of the utmost importance, people feel that they should be able to go out and practice that, which 100% they do. But doesn't mean they're not fucking idiots. <laughs> like, well, and it, it doesn't mean that they're not incredibly selfish. Like that's yeah. the thing is like you want and what I see a lot of and there are people who literally I went to high school with who have this mentality. This mentality is I have the right to go out and support my family. Supporting my family is essential. And I understand their fear because they're yeah. scared because they're they've lost their jobs um, for the foreseeable future. They can't support their families and they're scared. And like, I understand all of that, but their belief system is I have the right to go out. If I want to, you have the right to stay in if you're scared and this is America and like we have right to our freedoms. But the problem with that is you are, it's not about you. It's about your communities. It's about other people. And what I'm afraid of is that you are going to cause a spike that is going to get someone that I know and love sick. And they'll keep saying, 
well, a certain number of people are going to have to die. Like I, that's what seriously did you a talking see? point. Oh my God. I, you just reminded me, Max showed me this video the other morning of somebody talking about reopening schools. And they said something about if we lost like 2% or 3%, that's numbers we could live with. I'm like 3% Max? of children <laughs> or just 3% period. I feel like these people say these things thinking it doesn't affect them or it's not going to affect them. It like could that, be that's you. It, and it has been. There was actually someone who, um, he was from Ohio, and he had gone and he his whole Facebook was just full of, you know, they're inflating the numbers. It's not that dangerous. We have the right to go out. This is stupid. Uh, he was an older man, probably a boomer type generation mm-hmm. guy, and he died. <laughs> He died yeah. from COVID from COVID and yeah. his Facebook was still public at the time. I went on his Facebook page and I was on there like looking at things. Wow. And people were ruthless, ruthless oh on this God. man's page. I bet they um, were. The point I mean, said, okay. I on. mean, I, and that's how I feel too. I'm just like, it's his family that's going to have to look at this shit. Like it. So, and they did eventually turn his page to private. But that's the thing is I feel like like so many people I know when they say these things, when they say two to three percent, when they say some old people are going to have to die, some immunocompromised people are going to have to die. Yeah. Okay. Your parents and grandparents first. Yeah. Put them in the front of the line. Exactly. Because I don't want to sacrifice my parents and grandparents. And look, this sucks for me. Like I'm not having a great time here at home. But I, I'm probably going to have to postpone my wedding, but if it comes down to postponing my wedding and keeping my family safe or the alternative, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's just insane. To, I don't, I don't understand it. But anyway, the thing that I kind of wanted to talk about with these um, anti-lockdown protests is that there are a lot of right-wing groups who are behind this wave of protests. Because if you're like me, it kind of seemed strange that all of these protests kind of sprang up at the same time. Yeah, I was like, what is going on here? Why are they so well organized as far as like... (laughs) kind of deciding that this was all going to happen at once. And it turns out that for a lot of these protests, if you take a deep look behind the scenes, um, it is a lot of conservative groups, uh, even some kind of white supremacist leading groups and militia groups like the Proud Boys um, and several other kind of militia groups or groups that have been kind of backed by Trump supporters or Mm -hmm. the Koch brothers or um, kind of these big names in Republican uh, circles have been behind these protests. So I'm not going to go into depth about it. I will link this article in our show notes, this MSN article that talks about it. Uh, But it's essentially they break it down by state and you can really see like who is behind these movements and who has been pushing for this. And all I want to say is like when the Koch brothers who are billionaires, um, or I guess the one is a billionaire since the other one died. <laughs> um, that For people that don't know, that sounded ruthless. <laughs> oh, he's a piece of shit. I don't I even know. I know you're like, he, he, he. Yeah. I mean, listen, like, yeah, no, actually, I'm not even sorry. I was going to be like, I don't wish, but I actually am not sorry. He's, um, he's a terrible person who's done a lot of harm in the world. And so I'm not super bummed out that he's not around anymore. Yeah. But whenever billionaires are funding these movements 
I, it's a hard thing for me because I really do. I have such a soft spot for the Midwest Mm -hmm. and I do feel like these kinds of salt of the earth people that a lot of these blue collar workers, they believe, they believe that these people are on their side and that like they need to go back to work and that it's just about them needing to provide for their families. But I'm like the people behind pushing you to put you in this incredibly unsafe situation by Mm -hmm. feeding you lies and propaganda. They're doing that so that you go work to make their money. Exactly. They they don't care about you. They don't care about your family. Mm -hmm. They don't care that you are struggling to pay your mortgage. Those aren't the things they care about. They'll say that those are the things they care about, but what they actually care about is the fact that their stocks aren't doing well because you aren't making their money. Like that's what it is. Um, And there's a lot of underlying ugliness to these anti-lockdown protests, as we saw in Michigan, which is a union state uh, where they were waving Confederate flags. Oh, God. Uh, We've seen it with nurses and doctors being harassed and yelled at, uh, being called actors. Their, Their health is being put at risk by these demonstrators literally yeah. screaming at them inches from their face. These people who put their lives at risk every day to keep people safe. Those photos um, are wild. Yeah, it's terrible. And so, it, you know, it's just something to keep in mind. Like, I just can't believe that this is happening. It just oh, I know. boggles my fucking mind. This is 2020, everybody. <laughs> if you had told me January 1st that this would all be happening. I, I saw I would- a thing. Where they were like, hey, remember in February when Australia was on fire? And I was like, that was February? That was like, February? That was like two months ago. And it feels like it was like two years ago. Oh, that's insane. <laughs> wow. You're right. That does seem like forever ago. Well, I have a positive piece of news as well that was sent to me by uh, Max's lovely mother, Barb. Um, she sent this cute Instagram photo with an article connected to it that said, Hawaii's feminist economic recovery plan. I'm listening. You're listening? Are you ready? I want to make sure you're listening before I'm I started. so ready. Ears are open. <laughs> okay. Um, so they are the first, Hawaii is the first state to propose what they're calling a feminist economic recovery plan. So rather than restoring their economy to the old normal, the state is looking to seize the opportunity to, quote, build a system that is capable of delivering gender equality. The plan was created by Hawaii's Commission on the Status of Women, which I've never heard of. A commission of the status of women sounds great. Neither I. Yeah. Um, And it's designed for a, quote, deep cultural change by incorporating the needs of indigenous women and immigrant women, caregivers, elderly elderly women, femme-identifying and non-binary people, incarcerated women, unsheltered women, domestic abuse and sex trafficking survivors, and females with disabilities. So... I did all this research while I was at work today and I I'll, I just sometimes talk to my bosses and T about what I'm reading about. And I mentioned this to my the dad and he started telling me a bit about Hawaii. I guess his first wife was from Hawaii and he was telling me about a lot of like the racism there and um, kind of the different parts of Hawaii. I don't really have a lot of knowledge on Hawaii in general. So it was very eye opening to me. And he said that it was almost kind of surprising for him to hear that they would be um, the first state to kind of 
have this very radical thing. Now, I'm not saying that. I don't know anything about Hawaii. It's just his ex-wife that lived there. So I'm not saying any of that. Uh, I don't want anyone from Hawaii coming at me. But I think that they have such a great idea of not going back to the old economy, but taking this opportunity to create something new. And this plan will include universal basic income and special emergency funds for the marginalized groups that I listed above. So in Hawaii, it has a higher there's a higher cost of living. There are a lot of uh, people who are employed as like caretakers and things like that. And there are also a lot of people that identify within the groups that I listed above as well. So to have a basic income that's livable for all of those people not to have to worry about you know their living expenses is something that's pretty amazing and it's really put like kind of a microscope on how these different marginalized communities have been have been treated during the pandemic um, I was reading about a lot of racism in hospitals with different patients um, and to have a state come forward and say, we don't want to go back to how we were before. We want to make something better. I think, I hope is inspiring to other states to do the same. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I had to say that there might be something good to come out of this um, whole disaster, I don't know if this will happen because I'm very cynical and skeptical about the United States and the way that it will move forward. Um, but I would hope that it will cause people to really see and push for the idea that we do need certain things in place, including a universal basic income that allows people to not only live, but to also be able to save. Because I think that that's uh, an issue that we're seeing a lot of right now. I know a lot of people who are self-employed who are having a very difficult time um, securing unemployment right now. Yeah. And because of that, they're really, really struggling financially. And in part, because when they were working, uh, they weren't able to they were living literally paycheck to paycheck. They right. were not able to save any money for an emergency like this. Uh, so I would hope that in the future we will be able to put some kind of some kind of program into place yeah. to protect people. You know, universal healthcare, universal basic income, something. It's just but- it's this is something that ha- I never thought in a million years I would go through in my lifetime. And so I feel like it has to be some sort of sign that something has to change. It's something that I, you know, of course, I've thought about this before. I want everybody to be able to have an income that they can live off of. But all of this has really put so much into perspective, I feel like. And I hope that, you know, with plans like this Hawaii Feminist Economic Recovery Plan and everything, and hopefully we can see where people are struggling and make positive changes. And we talk so much about this presidency and how important it is that we pick the right president, but also we are so heavily relying on our state's governors right now. And I hope that each individual state, even if your president is failing you, you do what you can to help your community in some way. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, I've gone back and forth between the the number of times I yo-yo in a day between feeling like all hope in humanity is lost because of this and feeling like 
I have so much more hope in humanity because of this. It's like I, I bounce back and forth between those things because I see things like the way these healthcare workers are being treated by these protesters. And it makes me think like, fuck people. I'm done with people. But then I also see people helping each other and caring, yeah. caring so much about each other and making sure we're okay and checking right. on each other and trying well, to do good. Because the thing is, is that when tragedy strikes, that's when you start to see people's real intentions. You know what I mean? I think that's a pretty common thread throughout history. It's you really start to see who your leaders are, especially when we are in times of crisis. So I feel like that's changing our opinions a lot too. I'm really, I'm not on either side. I'm not hopeful and I'm not negative about it because I feel like if I go either way, I'm going to be let down. So I'm, I'm enjoying reading about these things. I've read enough news in my life to know that that doesn't mean this is going to go through. That doesn't mean that everything is going to change and everything's happy. But if it's one thing that can be uh, a positive reminder for the fellow feminists of the world that there is one place where they're really trying hard to make something that actually has the word feminist in it. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And and also, I think it's important to to really focus on if you can, because I understand how difficult it is. It's difficult for me. But when we're trying to look at the positive, I think that it is important to know that we're not alone in that like there are we might be we might be fighting against all odds we might not be successful but there are other people who are fighting this fight too you're not like alone yeah and there are other good people out there it's not all bad people you know exactly like you and my lovely friends that made me feel so much better today I wanted to just read we got some listener mail we actually have a couple of emails I'm only going to read one right now because uh, we are running out of time yeah but I wanted to uh, read this from a listener in regards to our and the backlog episode mm-hmm so they sent us a email and it says, hello, I decided to write in and give you all a little information regarding this episode I listened to. I have been listening to you guys for a while and just wanted to say I love your content and appreciate the work that you do to promote visibility and expand knowledge on these important issues. Aww, thank I you. am. Thank you. I am a sexual assault advocate in El Paso, Texas, so I work with this topic on a daily basis. One thing is calling it a rape kit. A rape kit is a kit used to rape. Sexual assault forensic collection kit is the proper term. The terms rape and victim can be really triggering for survivors. The term rape creates a binary in which survivors may question if what really happened to them is considered rape. The term sexual violence acts as a blanket term for sexual-based violence. Also, the term sexual assault is not harmful because it refers to sexual-based violence, which all that is. Sexual violence is sex. However, the key difference is that it is not for pleasure, but rather for power and control. Lastly, thank you for discussing sane nurses. It is extremely important for people to know where in their community there is a 24-hour SANE program, if one is available. This program requires a hospital to have a trained forensic SANE nurse on call 24 hours to conduct the exam if need be. There are also programs in different cities where a social worker will be on call to go to the hospital with a survivor, usually an agency that focuses on domestic slash sexual violence. Again, thank you for taking time to read this. I appreciate it. If y'all have any more questions, I would be glad to answer them as well. 
Thank you. This was one of the most insightful emails I've ever read because she takes a lot of ideas that I think are said in the feminist community about, you know, rape isn't sex and talking about rape kits and using certain language that could potentially be triggering is something that is really important for us to receive. And especially with calling it a rape kit is very true. When she said it that way, I was like, well, duh, like a murder kit is something that people use to murder somebody. Like when she said that, I was like, obviously. And it's just so strange because we've always heard it called that. You know what I mean? We watch Law & Order SVU and that's what they call it. And I understand it because it gives you a very clear idea of like what they're talking about when you're trying to dumb it down for TV. But when you do take a closer look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because she also mentioned whether victims will identify with what happened to them as being rape. I I'm still learning so much about my own experience with sexual assault and having read Chanel Miller's book recently and uh, doing the end the backlog episode and all that kind of stuff has really helped me discover um, how to label what's happened to me as well, because I think there's such an idea of rape being one singular thing and not meaning a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found it very insightful. So thank you so much for writing that in. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Let's see if you have anything else that you want us to talk about. We got so many recommendations, I feel like, this week. I got some just on my own. We got some sent from you guys. We're not going to be able to get to all of them because it's supposed to be a 30-minute episode, but please keep sending them. Go ahead and email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or send us a direct message on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. You can follow us there as well. We have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast. Y-A-N-F Podcast. <laughs> Let's see. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with your fellow listeners on that group page. We also really love it when you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It makes this gloomy, gloomy pandemic time so much nicer when we hear nice words from all of you. So thank you. Also, if you don't already listen to us on Radio Public, it's a free way for you to listen and it helps us out just a little bit and we could use it during this time. So (laughs) listen there. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. With all of that being said, we encourage you to rage rage on. on. (laughs) Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.